This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Had a great time hosting Coast to Coast uh, AM last night. Not sure if you caught the show. A Canadian comic, Alan Park, who is a member or former member of the comedy sketch troupe, the Royal Canadian Air Force, which, of of course, played forever on uh, CBC television, uh, was with me for the first two hours. He's been on this show as well. And uh, he created quite a firestorm. We have uh, had tremendous, tremendous feedback from that show uh, last night. And if you don't know, Alan um, was talking about his victory over cancer. Alan Park was diagnosed with stage 4 prostate cancer and was basically sent home to get his affairs in order, and he beat it. He maintains, we have to be careful about this, of course, we ma- he maintains he beat it using cannabis oil, Rick Simpson's recipe uh, for cannabis oil, and uh, took it as a suppository and uh, then got stage 4 cancer again and beat it again with cannabis oil. And that was back in 2013, 2014. He's still with us. Terrific show. Uh, so we are going to stick with the cancer subject matter again. Uh, just moments away from speaking with playwright Luke Yankee. And his latest play is The Man Who Killed the Cure. Luke's an interesting fellow. You may uh, be familiar with uh, also the work of his late mother, Academy Award-winning actress uh, Eileen Eckert, uh, who also won a uh, Golden Globe, I believe, and a Tony and an Emmy. She was a recurring character on The Mary Tyler Moore Show. She was on uh, Lou Grant, which was kind of a spinoff of uh, The Mary Tyler Moore Show. And she played uh, the mother of a a murdered child in a a, uh, very disturbing film called The Bad Seed. I've talked about that... that, um, that movie on this program a number of times because it's always stayed with me. It is, you know, back when movies were really frightening on a psychological uh, plane. You know, it wasn't all about the slash and the gore. These were well-crafted horror pictures. And The Bad Seat, if you haven't seen it, 
please uh, check it out. Anyway, Luke Yankee uh, will be here. Uh, and uh, the, the play is about Dr. Max Gershon. And um, this is a, uh, a Jewish-German-born American physician who many maintain found the cure for cancer uh, back in the 30s or 40s uh, through diet low sodium, low fat, high carbohydrate uh, diet infused with vitamins and supplements and so forth. And many maintained that he was killed, poisoned with arsenic. Was it Big Pharma? Well, we'll uh, we'll discuss when Luke Yankee joins us in mere moments. Uh, Incidentally, last night on Coast, I also enjoyed speaking with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis about his new book, The Deeper State, Uh, in which he takes on the globalists. This is a favorite uh, subject of mine, if you uh, haven't sort of caught caught on over the last several years, um, because we've talked about this on the show, the globalists versus the the nation-state. And just for the record, in case I haven't stated it clearly enough uh, these last 10 years or so, I am a nationalist. I am not a globalist. I believe in the nation-state. I believe in sovereignty. I believe in the rule of law. I believe in borders. Uh, I know that's kind of passe these days, uh, but that's the way it is. I'm not a fan of international organizations like the United Nations. I am not a citizen of the world. I am a patriot. I'm a Canadian. Anyway, uh, don't get me started. (laughs) Second half of the show, uh, Leslie Mitchell-Clark will be here. She's a Toronto-based certified clinical hypnotherapist who specializes in working with alleged alien abductees. This should be interesting. Uh, Dr. David Jacobs, I guess, would be uh, sort of her counterpart down in the United States, in Philadelphia, who also, he's done incredible research in this field as well. So I can't wait to to, uh, to speak with Leslie Mitchell-Clark about her work. Uh, before we get rolling, as uh, always, let me introduce the boys in the band. On the Gibson Flying V guitar, my technical producer, Ian Robertson. Ian, I don't want to put you on the spot, I hope I'm not telling tales out of school, but your uh, band, uh, you're about to cut a record. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is that, uh, can I say that? Yeah, Is that sure. okay? Yeah, Grease right. Marks. The Grease Marks, you're going to L.A.? Yeah, we joined Wild Records. We're going to record a full length, hopefully have it out by 2018. A full length album? Yeah, we're going to record it in two days. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Congratulations, that's yeah. huge. So unfortunately, I have to leave snowy Toronto and go to L.A. Oh, poor fella! Yeah, and you're not going to forget us when you're uh, when you're you know when you got the 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 uh, palatial estate in Malibu. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. The groupies and the okay, just behave yourself. Of course, I know you will. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> well done, sir. Uh, and on the Rickenbacker bass guitar, occasionally the theremin, my story producer, the mysterious Albert Venzel, uh, and finally on the Hammond B3, my feature producer. Ryan White. Gentlemen, welcome uh, and thank you for everything you do. A programming note next week on the uh, the big transmission, John Rappaport uh, from No More Fake News. I don't know what we're going to talk with John about. There's so much to discuss. I know he's, he's written extensively about the Las Vegas shooting rampage. Still so many unanswered questions. He's also, uh, he spoke recently with my colleague, good friend George Norrie uh, on Coast recently about the opioid uh, epidemic. So, doesn't matter. I just, you know what? We turn on the mic, we let John Rappaport go, and it's, he's always full value. So he's here next week for the hour. And, uh, of course, dear friend, paranormal investigator Rosemary Ellen Guiley in the uh, the second half. That's coming up next week. Uh, Dr. Max Gershon, I mentioned, 
a Jewish-German-born American physician. He developed this Gerson therapy, which was a dietary-based alternative cancer treatment, uh, and he claimed he could cure cancer and most chronic uh, degenerative diseases, uh, in actual fact. And he described his approach in a book called A Cancer Therapy, Results of 50 Cases. And he presented this during a congressional subcommittee hearing uh, where he was able to uh, demonstrate a remarkable case history of cancer patients that had complete tumor regression, a cure, in essence, using his therapy after traditional Western treatments had failed. You mean chemotherapy is not effective? What is the success rate of chemotherapy? Is it like something like 2%? I don't know. I'm sure we'll get the goods in a moment from, uh, from Luke. But many of the patients had been sent home to die, like Alan Park, who I spoke with last night, after their doctors told them that nothing could be done. Many, if not most, of uh, Gerson's patients were what we call hopeless cases. Again, after failed conventional Western treatment, and, and they came to him as a last-ditch effort to hold on to their lives. Well, wouldn't you know, of course, after testifying before the subcommittee, sort of going public, things would kind of go south for uh, Dr. Gerson. Over the next 13 years, he lost his membership privileges in the uh, New York State Medical Society. He was prohibited from publishing his work in peer-reviewed medical journals, uh, and ultimately... Many, many suspect he was murdered by a likely medical and pharmaceutical industry more interested in preserving vast pharmaceutical profits than curing a dying and suffering humanity. He was uh, supposedly, I'm not sure if this has been 100% verified, but he was supposedly tested positive for arsenic poisoning uh, right before his death in 1959. All right. Uh, Luke Yankee is an author, a playwright, an actor, director, teacher, producer. He's directed on and off-Broadway at regional theaters throughout the United States and abroad. He has assistant directed six Broadway shows, served as artistic director of two regional theaters. He's toured internationally with his multimedia one-man show, Diva Dish, about growing up as the son of Oscar, Emmy, and Tony-winning uh, actress Eileen Eckert. Uh, and, of course, this was the inspiration for his first book, Just Outside the Spotlight. Critics have called it one of the most compassionate, illuminating showbiz books ever written. And, of course, again, his new play, The Man Who Killed the Cure, also available as a book. Luke Yankee, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm wonderful, Richard. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, we're here to talk about you and your work, but I, I, I have to just mention the performance that your mother um, made in, in The Bad Seed. Uh, I've, I've talked about that film on the... I don't know why it sticks with... Well, I know why it sticks with me. It's a disturbing movie. It's so well-crafted, and your mother was spectacular. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was amazing that she only had eight minutes in both the play and, um, and the film, and she won the Golden Globe and uh, got a Tony nomination and an Oscar nomination. Wow. So that was a pretty powerful eight minutes. And many of us of a certain age, of, of course, will remember her as a recurring character in the Mary Tyler Moore show and, of, of course, Lou Grant. Yes, indeed. Yes, she was one of those character actresses who really never stopped working for more than 50 years. So this, this uh, play, I, I want to get into and delve into sort of the motivation, but I, I'm guessing uh, certainly on one level very personal because your mother died of lung cancer. Yes. Yes, she did die of lung cancer. And um, actually, she was a terrible smoker. I mean, it was amazing that, uh, that it didn't take her earlier than it did. 
but um, uh, when she was 81, she was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. And actually, Richard, uh, she was over-radiated to the point where her esophagus was so badly burned that she couldn't even swallow water. So while, yes, the cancer would have gotten her in time, she really died of malnutrition mm. because she was so over-medicated and, and they just gave her such massive doses of radiation. I can't remember and, any I, – I, very few people I know actually die of cancer. It's yes. you know, They die from complications. They die from pneumonia. They die uh, – A lot of them die from chemotherapy yes. because chemotherapy is so incredibly toxic to the system. This uh, – I mean, you're you're very well established in the industry. This, thank you. I'm guessing this must have been a bit of a risk for you. Did you worry about putting on a play about Dr. Max Gershon and all of the, you know, the the claims that he was killed off by big pharma? And that's not that's not a group you want to take on. If <laughs> you know, did you have any reservations about that, Luke? Um, I didn't have any reservations when I started. Um, because I just feel it's so important to get this information out there, and which, of course, we'll talk about in more detail in terms of what exactly that, that involves. But I, I just, I really feel that, that people need to know that there are other alternatives out there that are readily available besides radiation and chemotherapy. They're, they are not the, the be-all and the end-all. But when you put yourself out there, and I mentioned that uh, Alan Park, comedian, was on with me on Coast to Coast last night yes. uh, talking about cannabis oil, uh, the, the cancer industry, uh, the mainstream media, they will, they will get in line in an awful hurry to start taking shots at you. Did that, was there any blowback after, you, um, after this there, play launched? Uh, touch wood, there has not been yet. Uh, but I must say, um, I am having some difficulty getting it produced. What happened was my, uh, a, a very prominent publisher of plays that shall remain nameless basically said, this is very interesting material, but it is too controversial mm. for us to publish it. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go ahead and self-publish it. And I'm using kind of a, a grassroots movement, if you will, to get the word out there about the play and uh, to get it produced and to get other productions of it, which is why I went ahead and self-published and um, I'm kind of talking to theater companies on my own because I just feel this is, this is too important to let it go. Do you think this is your legacy, this play, of all um, the things that you've done? Is this something that you, you sort of see in that light? You know, I, I guess I hadn't really thought of it that way, Richard. It, it, it certainly would be a part of it. I would love it to be a part of it. We, we'll, we'll, I, sorry, we'll, we'll talk about, um, we'll yes. get into who Dr. Max Gershon was when we come yes. back. I've sort of given the, the thumbnail sketch, but um, I want to find out uh, how you became familiar with uh, Dr. Gershon. And, uh, and then we'll sort of uh, give people sort of the chronology and, and uh, much of what... Uh, of course, is covered in the play, The Man Who Killed the Cure. Luke Yankee, playwright, author, producer, director, my guest uh, for the next 45 minutes. I hope you'll join us for the duration. Stay with us. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740. Or toll free at 1 866 740 4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. We're talking about Dr. Max Gershon, who many, many, many people may be familiar with, hopefully, uh, and legions believe uh, found an alternative cure for cancer, had a quite a, a remarkable recovery rate uh, with sort of lost causes, people that were sent home to die after all Western sort of conventional uh, Western medicine uh, techniques had failed them. And uh, Luke Yankee, playwright, is here to talk about his play, The Man Who Killed the Cure, which is about exactly that, Doctor, or about that person, Max, uh, Dr. Max Gershon. Now, uh, Luke, he started out with um, sort of experimenting on himself because he was a, a lifelong sufferer of migraine headaches. Uh, how did it go from migraines to cancer? Uh, well, Richard, back in, I believe it would have been the 30s when he first started experimenting with, um, uh, with migraine headaches because he had suffered for them for a long time, as you said. And he just kept changing different things in his diet. And I believe he found a diet of largely of apples that helped to cure his migraines. And so he just kept experimenting, and um, he had a patient, he was a young doctor, and he had a patient who was having similar issues with migraines, who also had rather severe skin tuberculosis. And so he gave this man the diet of primarily apples to clear up his, um, his migraines, and his skin tuberculosis went away, in addition to the migraines. Hmm. So from there, he kept exploring and trying different protocols. What he finally wound up with that cured uh, many different diseases was a combination, a very specific combination of juicing organic fruits and vegetables, uh, as many as, say, 12 or 13 juices every day, practically one an hour, and uh, three or four organic coffee enemas to cleanse out the system. And very important to use organic coffee. Uh, because it's more pure. So, uh, and he had incredible results with cancer, with tuberculosis, with so many different illnesses. In fact, Dr. Albert Schweitzer, he cured uh, Albert Schweitzer's wife uh, of, um, uh, I believe it was uh, tuberculosis. Lung tuberculosis, yeah. Yes, it was lung tuberculosis. And um, after all uh, other treatments had failed her. Exactly, exactly. And Dr. Schweitzer, who was <laughs> a very prominent man at the time, shall we say, uh, you know, world-renowned, claimed that Max Gerson was one of the greatest medical geniuses uh, of the 20th century. Mm. Uh, and then he applied this dietary therapy to heart disease, kidney failure, and then yes. finally, I guess, cancer. Yes, indeed, indeed. And he was uh, writing a book of his case histories and was very excited because he had, at this point he had cured more than 50 people. So he was writing a book of the uh, sort of major cures, and that is definitely the word that he used for many terminal illnesses. And some people balk at the word cures, but that is what he called them, and that's what the Gerson family, with whom I'm in touch, um, you know, absolutely said that they were. 
And so he was writing a book, and he went on a very prominent radio show at the time, uh, Long John Nebel, who was a, a late-night talk show host, um, probably not unlike yourself, and uh, talked about this book, and the phones just went crazy with people wanting to know where they could get pre-orders, etc. And the next day, uh, Long John Nebel, who was one of the most popular radio personalities in the United States at the time, was fired with no explanation. Interesting. Instantly fired. And... Um, Shortly thereafter, a woman showed up to act as Max Gerson's secretary, and she was actually sabotaging the book. And um, so, of course, there was no photocopying or anything like that back in the late 40s, early 50s. So he, once he found out what she was doing, of course, he fired her and had to start writing the book from scratch. And just as he finished the book the second time, he mysteriously died of arsenic poisoning. Has that been that? Uh, because I, I think on the official cause supposedly was lung cancer, but because yes. he had holes in his lungs, but that's kind of a telltale sign of arsenic poisoning as well. Absolutely, it is. And um, the thing is, Max Gerson was in great health, and he was in his early 70s at the time, but he was a very robust man and was still curing all these people. But within, he suspected, he knew something was wrong. And shortly before he died, he went into the hospital for um, a, a thorough diagnosis, and they found arsenic in his system. So he knew what was going on. And how did you how did you learn about Gershon? Was it during your mother's illness? No, it really was uh, considerably after my mother's illness. And you know, I mentioned about that before, but that was kind of a, a byproduct. I mean, it, it really wasn't because I got on some campaign after my mother died. Although I certainly, <laughs> it certainly wouldn't have surprised me if I had. But basically, several years ago, kind of on a whim, I decided to go vegetarian, and started looking at some terrific documentaries and that sort of thing. And of course, I immediately started feeling better and had more health and, and uh, you know, just a, a more energy and such. And so um, one of the, there's a very popular documentary called Food Matters. And one of the people in Food Matters, which is this very intense German lady who was saying, how can you grow a proper tomato if there are no nutrients in the soil? <laughs> and something about this woman just struck me. And so I went back and I found out who it was, and it was Charlotte Gerson, who is the daughter mm. of Max Gerson. And after Max uh, was killed, or as many people believe that he was killed, um, Charlotte, she never became a doctor herself, but she had worked closely with her father and had helped him out in the office and such. So Charlotte became a consultant to all of these clinics. Um, well, of course, they wouldn't let her in the States, but primarily working with several different clinics in Tijuana and, uh, and one in Budapest. And Charlotte Gerson, at age 94, is still sharp as a tack and has been responsible for helping to cure over 10,000 people of terminal illnesses at this point. So even though her father uh, was not able to continue his work, uh, his legacy certainly lives on. And to, to this date, uh, you cannot market the Gerson diet as a cure in the United States. So she's, this, it's all being practiced in places like Tijuana. Is that the idea? That's correct. Yes, yes. I mean, there is a, a Gerson Institute in um, San Diego. 
but uh, in terms of people actually prescribing the diet and such. And there are private practitioners and that sort of thing that, that one can go to for alternative healing and such. But um, no, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's illegal to cure cancer in the United States with anything other than radiation and chemotherapy, mm. which is just mind-blowing to me. It is. And in a hundred years, you know, we'll look back and, uh, at the barbarism I totally agree. Uh, in terms of you know the you know, radical surgery and cancer treatment hasn't changed in almost a hundred years. It's true. It's true. And I have a feeling, Richard, that we'll look back on it kind of like bloodletting and leeches. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. So and Gershon b- believed that the idea that the, the diet must be tied closely with the soil. And you mentioned his daughter talking about the lack of nutrients, and it's so true now. Uh, you know, our soil has been totally depleted of nutrients. And I heard a gentleman speak about this, and I can't remember his name, and it was probably on Coast to Coast, uh, talking about he was actually able to identify the moment uh, our soil became started to become depleted. Uh, and that was when uh, Con Edison, you know, when we flipped on the lights for the first time and we stopped putting wood ash in the flower garden or in the vegetable garden absolutely uh, absolutely with all the synthetic fertilizers and such it's uh, I, I mean how can you grow anything of any any substance or of any quality it's true it's we are we are we are literally we're I mean we're well fed we have an obesity problem in this in this on this on this continent but we are absolutely. starving to death we are yes. literally starving to death yes exactly and, and Charlotte Gerson has just talked about this and, and promoted this so much. And um, uh, in terms of <laughs> the, the lack of food value, I mean, children who are living on things like chicken, you know, chicken nuggets and, and things like that that have absolutely no food value. And um, so, uh, you know, as I discovered this work, I created this. And, and of course, as you said, there are a number of um, theories of what exactly happened to uh, uh, to Max Gerson and how he was murdered and such, how he was poisoned. But um, so what I did was I created a play kind of in the vein of Amadeus, where the principal character is a compilation of several historical figures who um, did not, shall we say, did not support Max Gerson. And basically, this character, a character I've created by the name of Rudolf Heller, who uh, is in cahoots with uh, the big pharmaceutical companies basically to destroy him and to help bring him down because he's, uh, he's doing all these outlandish cures. And at the time, of course, in the 40s and 50s, there weren't as many regulations as there were today. But, um, and then at the end of the play, I have an epilogue by Charlotte Gerson, who's a character as a young girl in the play, but it's the 25th anniversary of the Gerson Institute uh, at the end of the play in the year 2000. And Charlotte is saying things like, uh, and these are actual quotes from her, more people have been killed by the negative effects of chemotherapy and radiation than were killed by Hitler and Stalin combined. Wow. I mean, those are some pretty, pretty staggering facts, and these are things that Charlotte has, uh, has said for years. And I'm thrilled with the fact that Charlotte's uh, son, Howard Strauss, 
who has written the definitive biography on Max Gerson, has been very supportive of this project. He and I have done some interview shows together, and uh, he's an amazing worldwide advocate for the Gerson method and is also carrying on the legacy, uh, as am I, to just help you know, get this out there to as many people as possible. And, and, you know, Richard, it's not my intention to say, you know, you're wrong if you decide to do chemotherapy or radiation. I mean, everyone has to make their own choices when it comes to their health, absolutely. But I just think it's really important that people know there are other alternatives out there. And most people don't because the medical establishment uh, tries to keep this information under wraps to a great degree. Uh, and with Gerson, the, the, the people that he was healing were, were were essentially told to go home and get your affairs in order. I mean, they had no other, there was no other recourse for them. Yes. Uh, the same with uh, Alan Park, a uh, gentleman I interviewed last night. He was told he stage four prostate cancer. It's It was basically go home and, and prepare to die. Absolutely. Uh, and and you had spoken earlier about the uh, the hearings that Max Gerson was a part of yes. in 1946. They were actually called the Pepper Neely hearings, which were named for two senators who were in support of this bill. And it was an attempt to get, I believe, a hundred million dollars uh, for alternative for funding for alternative methods of cancer, not just the Gerson method, I mean, because there have been other good ones over the years as well, certainly, and, and there still are. I mean, yes, I'm the first to, to admit there are also some snake oil salesmen out there, but Max Gerson certainly was not one of them. And so after three days of testimony, and Max had some of his top patients you know, coming and saying how they were totally cured by this diet, and the senators just, Mike, this is incredible, we have to pass this bill, uh, it was tied up in bureaucratic red tape uh, by some medical lobbyists, and if the the three days of testimony ultimately were completely expunged and stricken from the record. My word! <laughs> you can't even find them. It, it, Is it's that very right? difficult to find them. I was able to track them down with the help of Howard Strauss and and uh, some of the Gerson family members. But uh, no, they they just so did not want that information out there. The medical lobby was just too strong, even in 1946. And what about Gerson's book? Is is that out of print or no? St- it is. Um, and and Howard Strauss, the the uh, grandson of Max Gerson, as I mentioned, has really helped get it out there. Uh, a cancer therapy is now available in. A number of languages uh, all over the world, and also Charlotte Gerson has several amazing books as well about the Gerson therapy and um, uh, the protocols and such. And you know, I still uh, practice it myself. And even though I do not have cancer, just in terms of health and maintenance, uh, I do the juicing and I do the coffee enemas, and the clarity of focus that I have, uh, Richard, is just. It makes a tremendous difference in, in the quality of my life and in my health. Luke Yankee, a playwright, is with us, and it's called The Man Who Killed the Cure. What's the, the status of, of, the, of the play? Well, um, uh, as I said, I'm, I've been <laughs> it's been a bit challenging due to the subject matter to, uh, to get it produced, but um, I am in conversations with some theaters right now. It, it has been published. Uh, it's available on Amazon, uh, just by the title, The Man Who Killed the Cure. Um, and uh, so I'm 
proud of the fact that it's getting favorable reviews and starting to get out there to a larger audience. And uh, I'm, as I said, I'm in conversations with several theaters right now and hope to have some information about some upcoming productions as of the first of the year. I also have a screenplay version that I've written of uh, as well that, uh, that I'm, I'm shopping around. Excellent. All right. Hold on, Luke. We'll, um, why don't we open up the phone lines? And um, just on the off chance, there are some people out there that maybe have tried the Gerson method uh, or that have... I mean, obviously, Luke is uh, not a doctor, nor does he play one on the radio, but uh, I think it might be interesting to hear some of those stories. Absolutely. All right. We'll uh, come back and discuss Dr. Max Gerson and the uh, Gerson method. Stay with us. My name is Richard Serrett. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Just a reminder, coming up just after the top of the hour, we'll talk hypnotherapy of alleged abductees. Leslie Mitchell-Clark will be with us, Toronto-based certified clinical hypnotherapist, and she specializes, well, in a number of sort of different modalities, but that would include working with individuals who feel they have had experiences with extraterrestrials. Looking forward to that. Next week on the program, again, doctor, or not doctor, everyone's a doctor. (laughs) Uh, He is, uh, he should have a PhD if he doesn't already. Anyway, that's John Rappaport from No More Fake News. Uh, he'll be with us in the uh, the first hour, and uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, in the second half. Right now, a playwright, Luke Yankee, uh, is with us, and it's uh, the play is called "The Man Who Killed the Cure." Let me hold this up for the uh, the webcam for our YouTube viewers, and that's available in book form on Amazon. "The Man Who Killed the Cure," all about Dr. Max Gerson. Uh, so this has been. I mean, I'm 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 uh, I'm seeing the the photographs, the uh, the, the uh, publicity photos in the book, and these you you've cast this right. You have. Well, there was actually a production. Uh, the the world premiere production was at uh, University of California, Irvine, uh, this past February. Right. And so um, uh, got a tremendous response. Every performance was sold out, and um, so I'm you know again using that as fodder to uh, to get some other productions. Has has this? I mean, here you you find yourself uh, on the uh, the conspiracy show. Um, has in, in researching this uh, this um, for this play, and you mentioned it may become a film, which would be fantastic. But has this sort of altered your your worldview in any way? I mean, how could it not? I guess it's kind of a rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know, one always hears, especially down here in the States, how everything is controlled by big business and and big pharma, but then really seeing the extent to which it is, Richard, has been incredibly eye-opening. And Max Gerson isn't the only person who uh, came up with uh, a presumed cure for cancer who has been um, silenced or attempted to be silenced. There have been a number of others. 
there was a doctor in the 1950s named Harry Hoxie who had a number of clinics all over the states. Uh, there was another man who came up with this incredible laser device called, um, his name was Royal Rife. Yes. And um, they act, literally came in and destroyed his laser. Uh, they destroyed the equipment. And so, uh, it, yeah, it has been incredibly eye-opening. And, um, uh, you know, again, I'm not trying to say anyone is wrong for doing chemotherapy or radiation if that is their choice. I just want people to know that there are other alternatives out there. Does it, has it made you more cynical? Um, no, I'm happy to say because that's not really the way I'm built. But it has made me much more conscious of my diet, much more conscious of cleaning products, uh, which have many carcinogens in them, much more conscious of the fact that everything has sugar in it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I've gone, I wouldn't say exactly hardcore vegan, but I've been vegetarian for a number of years now and certainly le- leaning towards veganism because of everything I know about factory farming and about the way meat is processed here in the States. I couldn't possibly eat meat again. So the the theory behind the Gerson approach is to alkalize – I can never say that word properly. Uh, <laughs> You're al- doing great. Alkalize the body, right, is to remove – because cancer supposedly uh, does very well in an acidic environment. Exactly. So yes. again, it's low sodium, low fat – high carbohydrate, um, and then... It's actually, I mean, it's a very, very strict diet. But, um, uh, and again, you know, having to do the the 12 or 13 freshly pressed juices every day, I mean, that in itself is a huge time commitment. And the, uh, not to mention the uh, three or four coffee enemas, organic coffee enemas. But uh, again, I mean, when you look at the alternative, I mean, if this is going to save your life... So, okay, it takes some time and some inconvenience, but if this is an all-natural method to save someone's life, as I firmly believe it is, and I know people who've had phenomenal results with this, and total remission, um, so I, I, I think it's, it's absolutely worth all the trouble and, and all the bother, and there's many people out there who agree with me. So you have, you have acquaintances, colleagues, friends who have gone down to Tijuana for the treatment, or yes. they just, they've just done it on their own? Yeah. Well, uh, some of both, actually. I mean, it, it, it is something one can do on one's own. It, again, it's, uh, it's challenging, but I do know people who have gone to the clinic. And, you know, it was so interesting, Richard, when I did the very first reading of this play at UC Irvine before the initial production, uh, it was a rather small audience, and in that audience there were two nurses. And I was obviously I was very curious to get their feedback. And one of them said this is spot on, this is great, this information needs to get out there. And the other one was like, well, Luke, I don't think you should really show this play to anybody. And chemotherapy's not so bad. And, you know, the doctor really knows best. You shouldn't mess with with what a doctor is telling you. And, and, you know, again, I want to make it very clear. I I think, you know, I'm not poo-pooing doctors. Uh, and I think one definitely has to work with a healthcare professional when doing something like the Gerson, uh, the Gerson method. But um, absolutely, it's important to, uh, uh, you know, to get out there and to just find out for yourself what you can do to take your own health into your hands. I don't know if it's changed uh, in terms of medical school. 
but I mean, what is medical school? About seven years in total. And the number of hours that they actually have to spend on nutrition, it's, it's, frightening. it's ridiculous. It's about, what, 20 hours out of seven years? Um, Something like that? It's, until recently, it was even less than that. Hmm. And it is changing. But uh, that's the thing. I mean, they spend all this time learning about what this drug does and what that drug does in, in conjunction. And there's almost no talk about nutrition. I mean, I recently had a, a very close friend who was diagnosed with an ulcer. And he said to his doctor, so do I need to do anything to change my diet? He said, no, not really. For an ulcer? Oh, my word. <laughs> I mean, that was just crazy to me. And, and uh, you know, it's just that it's not that the doctors uh, are necessarily trying to suppress this information. It's that they don't know any better because they haven't had the training in nutrition, which is just absolutely staggering to me. And I'm happy to say that is very slowly starting to turn around, where at least in many medical schools, they now offer a bit more training in it. All right, Luke, hold on. We'll come back and uh, finish up with some more uh, questions and conversation about Dr. Max Gerson. The Man Who Killed the Cure is the name of the play again. The book available at Amazon and find, uh, well, probably uh, Barnes and Nobles, I'm guessing as well, Luke, is it? The truth will set you free. Oh, we'll but ask first, them when we come back. It will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Luke Yankee is with us, playwright. It's called The Man Who Killed the Cure, all about Dr. Max Gerson. Was he murdered for uh, finding a cure, a natural cure for cancer? You know, a part of me just thinks that the, the idea that, uh, you know, that they are, they, Big Pharma, or the cancer industry, as it's been called, is, is suppressing a cure. To me, that's just, it's almost too cynical even to want to go there. Um, you know, the, who wouldn't, uh, you know, want to come up for a cure, with a cure well, for cancer? I, I see your point, Richard, and, and unfortunately, I, I wish I agreed with it. Yeah. But when you think about the fact that cancer is a multi-billion dollar industry, um, I spoke with a doctor uh, who's also has a background in, in the economy, and he's rather a bit of an economist, and he told me that if they were to come out with a bona fide cure for cancer tomorrow, it would cause the downfall of the American economy. Really? That's how, when you really? think about all the nurses, all the doctors, I mean, all the, it, it just, it, it's staggering the amount of money that the cancer industry generates every year. Just uh, just from from chemotherapy treatments alone, and I guess uh, I mean how how well that that's certainly part of it. Yes, absolutely. But um, there's a, a wonderful film out now, a, a rather new documentary called What the Health, and um, one of the things they talk about in there is uh, some of the industries that give all this money 
to things like um, the American Cancer Society in exchange for saying, oh, yes, our, our food is, a, uh, you know, is, is heart healthy and is, is, you know, helps, uh, can decrease your risk of cancer, when in a lot of cases that's not even the case. Hmm. You know, I was thinking uh, during the break um, of, you know, who, who you might enlist, not that I'm in any position, and you would know certainly far more than I would, but I was thinking someone like Suzanne Summers. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you, have you, do you know her? Have you approached her? Because um, she's, how many times I, I has she not beaten yet cancer? I approached her, and, and she's definitely somebody on my list because um, uh, my mother actually, she used to have a talk show, and my mother was on her talk show, and, ah. and she is someone that I've wanted to reach out to. The other thought that I have is, um, in terms of the play and possibly in terms of the film, is to contact some of these famous um, act, Hollywood actors who are known to be vegans and who are known to be into natural healing. People like Keanu Reeves, uh, Alicia Silverstone. Uh, there happen to be wonderful roles for both of them, by the way. <laughs> but, um, yes, so that's another, that's another avenue that I'm, I'm in the process of exploring. Excellent. Let's uh, go to the phones. Richard joins us from Mississauga this evening. Richard, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Oh, uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm curious if your guest is familiar at all with a Canadian um, nurse who had um, invented, or should I say promoted, uh, a First Nations herbal treatment called Essiac, which was showing extreme um, numbers of remissions in cancer treatment. I hadn't heard of that. Essiac. Yes, Essiac T, exactly. Uh, Her name was, uh, uh, I, I believe it was Marie Case. C-A-I-S-E, and then F-E-A-S-E, yes, and so Essiac, the name of the T, is her name spelled backwards, and yes, had tremendous success rates with that, and in fact, I've got some Essiac T in my kitchen right now. Yes, the healing properties of Essiac T are really wonderful, and it's another viable product in terms of... Uh, in you know, in in terms of helping to uh, to cure cancer. Hmm. Well, she got put through the ringer a few times too. They would send the uh, the RCMP and the doctors in from Ottawa, Absolutely. and the doctors would say, "Hey, w- w- she's getting results. We can't uh, say that she's doing quackery here." Interesting. I'm I wasn't familiar with that. Essiac tea, you say? All right. Thank you for yeah. that, Richard. Enjoy. I'm trying to also think of um, uh, the, um, oh, speaking of Mary Tyler Moore, we mentioned earlier because your mother had a recurring role. Valerie uh, Harper um, has been, uh, what talk about a cancer survivor. She was diagnosed with, with brain and I think brain and lung cancer, and she's taking some sort of a tea as well. And she was given like three months. This is like five years ago, and she's, she's hanging on. Well, there was also an incredible story with uh, Michael Landon, uh, the wonderful actor who yes. did Little House on the Prairie and Bonanza and, you know, so many marvelous things. And he went on the uh, the Gerson therapy and was turning around his cancer diagnosis. Ah, uh, yeah, pancreatic, pancreatic cancer. cancer. Yes, that's a death sentence. Absolutely. And he was actually turning it around using the Gerson method and oh. was going down to Tijuana and such. And uh, uh, his doctor said, wait a minute, these numbers are going in the opposite direction. What are you doing? And he explained it to him. And the doctor, uh, you know, told him he had to stop immediately, that it was incredibly dangerous and insisted 
that he go on radiation and chemotherapy and practically forced his hand. Is that to do true? It, oh, saying my Lord. that uh, you know, he would be dead within a week if he didn't. And um, he died shortly thereafter. But pancreatic cancer, I mean, that, that's, as I say, that's a death sentence. There's not much to be done there. What did he have well, to lose? Well, <laughs> the Gerson method. Right. I mean, under, with, conventional, with conventional treatments, I mean. I mean yeah, they, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, basically, it's like six months to a year, right? Yes. Uh, yes, he was exactly. turning it around. That that is almost reminiscent of uh, uh, of the Steve McQueen story, although yeah. it wasn't the Gerson method. Um, he was uh, it was Laetril, I believe. He was, uh, but he was going down to Tijuana, I think, as well for Laetril treatments. Yes, that's right. That's right. So, is this? Have you sort of? Uh, do you think is this sort of carved out maybe a new niche for you? I mean, this there is this this is such a rich. Uh, not, I'm not, you know, I'm not suggesting for a moment that this is something to be exploited, but it's such a rich vein to be mined in terms of not only, you know, cancer cures, but you know, something that I'm very interested in these days, and I've, I've talked to a lot of inventors. Alternative energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be great to see these things, you know, uh, on Broadway or off Broadway or on the big screen. These these people are the, you know, the real difference makers. Absolutely, absolutely, and. Uh, uh, I, you know, I love talking to my friend Harry Hamlin, the wonderful actor who was on L.A. Law and, and you know, films so many wonderful films, Making Love and Clash of the Titans. And Harry's an actor I've worked with and, and a terrific friend. And Harry has been working with uh, the famous astronaut Buzz Aldrin mm-hmm. uh, and, and other people in terms of alternative forms of energy. And so I love hearing about things like this. And when people are, yes, to answer your question, Richard, I, I get incredibly passionate about it. And um, uh, because, yeah, I, I just think it, it has, um, it, researching this play has definitely changed my life. And it certainly changed my eating habits and my diet. And it, it's changed many aspects of my life. Well, how could it not? Uh, because these, these people, I mean, you know, you've delved into this, and I've, I've, uh, uh, I'm working on a television project about inventors, and these are the most noble people I've ever met. Uh, they just open source everything online. They don't, they're not into, into, into it to make money. They, they, all they, they talk about, you know, their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren, and they just want to make, make a difference. Uh, William is here in Toronto. William, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Oh, Richard, you said uh, pancreatic, pancreatic cancer can't be cured or something to that effect. Well, most uh, of... Libby Snyder uh, has uh, 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 overcome pancreatic cancer. You should have her on. That's true. It, it, it's true. Another another example. Yes, Libby here. Uh, God bless her. Another example is Wilco Johnson, the musician. But, I mean, more most often... Uh, when p- pancreatic cancer, most often it is. It's, yeah, but, it's, but it can it can be done. Yes, indeed. Okay, I just thank wanted God to for mention that. that because Libby's Nimer uh, overcame. And thank God for that. Yes, yeah, thank you for thank pointing you. for reminding me of that, William. All right, appreciate well, and, it. Oh yes, know, one of the interesting things, Richard, about the Gerson method is that you know when people would go to the clinic in in Tijuana or or Budapest or the other practitioners who are around. Uh, one of the first questions they would say was, well, have you had chemo or radiation? And if so, how much? Because if people have had too much specific, uh, particularly chemo, um, with some kinds of cancer, the Gerson method will still work, but with others, it will not because of the way chemo depletes the body. 
and, and at the root of it, uh, we're winding down here, just a few moments left, but at the root of this, the theory is, is it that, that cancer is caused by toxins, uh, environmental toxins, or what is they, at the root of it? They certainly contribute to it. Um, one of the things that Max Gerson said was that he believed that uh, processed foods, I mean, he, basically he said he believed that big corporations caused cancer mm. because of all the processed foods, um, uh, you know, things like host, yeah, well, uh, I, I won't mention any names, but <laughs> I'm about to say a brand name, which probably wouldn't be wise, but... Um, uh, and, and, you know, also back in the day, one of the things that Max Gerson was censured for was coming out for saying that, uh, that smoking caused cancer. Because back in people say, well, people would say, well, how can you possibly say that? And say, well, it's, you know, I have substance and proof. But also um, the, one of the chief sponsors of the journal of the AMA was Philip Morris mm. back in the 40s and 50s. So, of course, Imagine they that. weren't going to say anything against smoking because their biggest sponsor was Philip Morris. There you go. And that explains why Dr. Max Gerson is holding a, a package of uh, cigarettes on Indeed. the cover of the book. Yes. Well, you know, thank you for sort of reclaiming uh, the, uh, the the legacy or, you know, the name of Dr. Max Gerson and, and bringing him back out into the, the spotlight because you won't read about him in the history books. You won't read about... Uh, you know, Nikola Tesla or uh, Dr. Royal Raymond Reif either for that matter. But people like you are, are, um, are sort of raising awareness about these, uh, these medical uh, and uh, technological geniuses. And I thank you for that, Luke. And I thank you for your time. I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Richard. I did as well. Luke Yankee, the man who killed the cure. And again, please support and uh, pick up a copy at uh, Amazon, and uh, we look forward to seeing the play maybe one day right here in Toronto at the uh, the Royal Alex or the Princes of Wales Theatre, or uh, maybe we'll even see it on the big screen at some point. All right. Uh, I am really looking forward to uh, my conversation uh, coming up in uh, mere moments with a, a woman here in Toronto, a, a certified hypnotherapist uh, who works with alleged alien abductees. You'll want to stick around for that as well, I'm quite sure. My name is Richard Serrett. This is The Conspiracy Show, and uh, I strongly encourage you to stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. On Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' well appointed paneled rec room. Your loft. That greasy spoon just off the interstate and your cabin in the woods. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. The gang's all here, of course. Ian. Albert and Ryan, and uh, a big how-do to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, here in Toronto, AM 740, 96.7 FM. Those of you catching us uh, on one of our affiliate stations across North America, the podcast, of course, check it out at TalkZone.com. And, of course, those of you who take the show with you on your mobile devices, uh, with the Conspiracy Show app, the Zoomer Radio app, both fabulous, both free downloads. 
Uh, how else do they listen? And oh, they can they can watch the live stream on YouTube. Uh, we just passed the sixty one hundred subscriber mark. Uh, so uh, please visit us on uh, on YouTube, and you can watch the radio. Imagine that! Isn't technology grand? You can watch the radio uh, on YouTube. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Don't forget to hit the sub button. Uh, and uh, a special hello, as always, to all of those loyal, loyal fans uh, who join us every week without fail in the uh, the chat room, the live chat at YouTube. However, and wherever you're watching and listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. All right, uh, we are going to delve into uh, E.T. UFO experiencers uh, and uh, hypnosis. And how hypnosis uh, can help alleged alien abductees. Leslie Mitchell-Clark is a Toronto-based certified clinical hypnotherapist. She specializes, uh, specializes in a number of modalities, including working with individuals who feel that they've had experiences with extraterrestrials. Uh, most of this fascinating work, as well as metaphysical therapy, such as uh, past life and interlife regression, takes place at her Toronto hypnosis clinic, Lightwork Hypnosis. And uh, Leslie is a properly vetted and selected MUFON mental health care professional. She regularly works with experiencers, contactees, who are part of their landmark experiencer research program, headed up by noted author and researcher Kathleen Marden. Leslie performs the same function for free experiencers. Free experiencers, that's the research group established by the late Dr. Edgar Mitchell. And for the past seven years, Leslie has been the host of a popular ufology-focused program, Contact, which transitioned into Contact TV in the spring of 2016. The program is available on YouTube and also on the new UFO broadcast platform, Spaced Out Radio and is heard in over 160 countries. Her co-host and the producer of Contact TV is experiencer contactee Wes Roberts. Wes and Leslie are currently collaborating on a book tentatively titled Intersection, A True Story of Extraterrestrial Contact, and that's slated for a spring 2018 release about Wes's transformative experience with hypnosis and his recovered memories of alien encounters. Leslie Mitchell-Clark, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Oh, thank you, Richard. I am just great, and I just want to uh, really express my appreciation for having me, uh, having me by uh, through the airways to uh, chat with you today. We've actually met on a couple of occasions um, at the um, Graham Hancock uh, speech, yes. I believe. Yes, yes. And, um, and uh, I think probably at Alien Cosmic Expo. One I of believe them, so. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Of course, of course. So, so thank you so much for having me on with this, uh, I think, kind of uh, controversial subject matter. My pleasure. That's a good uh, Is it controversial? I mean, you know, um, I have, um, I've had... Um, past life regression mm-hmm. therapists on the program and and uh, I mean it's, it seems like it's becoming um, more and more sort of mainstream um, or am I wrong? Well, I think the use of hypnosis in general um, is is becoming, I, I would have to use the word, validated uh, by a lot of the technology we have, particularly with regards to the real-time mapping of the brain. Uh, in other words, uh, what we have always known to be true uh, is that if you can get the body relaxed enough, 
uh, through just, you know, talking and relaxing the muscles and doing what we do, then that little, if you wish to call it a veil or a membrane between, um, between memory and, uh, and your current life sort of dissolves. And uh, they know now that through the, you know, real-time mapping of the brain that uh, when people are uh, put under hypnosis uh, for some type of regression process, uh, that uh, the areas of the brain that are firing are, in fact, you know, the deep memory centers oftentimes, you know, the amygdala, and Mm -hmm. not what you would expect necessarily to see. So uh, hypnosis is 5,000 years old, possibly older if you accept the idea of antediluvian civilizations, but it is, in fact, um, a really uh, profound treatment for all kinds of things, but uh, particularly in the recall of, of memory. It's, uh, it's very powerful. Although that area is very controversial. I mean, it has been, as you know, you know challenged in court and the yep. whole recovered memory is, it, I mean, that's a tricky area, uh, particularly when, for example, someone believes that they remember, I mean, memory at the, memory in general is just, even in, a, in our conscious mm-hmm. waking state, you know, things that we're, we're sure we, we remember, we, we just did a, a show recently on the Mandela effect. Oh, yes. Uh, so, I mean, wh- what are your, what's your sort of exegesis on, <laughs> well, on you know, that, I think that whole I area? Think you're absolutely right. I, I think that uh, it is an esoteric area, um, and uh, I also believe that sometimes experiencers have physical experiences that have happened, and sometimes what they are recalling is probably something that happened more on the etheric level, right. which didn't necessarily occur uh, physically. But yes, particularly you know, in working in any kind of regression with children, I think that should probably be disallowed and not used at all, because uh, children uh, can easily are highly suggestible. And um, I, I think, Richard, the, the key to the whole thing is in the neutrality of the questions that are asked by the therapist. Right, right. I mean, there has to be a strict protocol. Completely. And uh, certainly, when people come to me, um, generally speaking, when they seek out my services to recover some sort of lost uh, memories of what they perceive to be uh, a ET encounter of some sort, they usually come with a mixed bag of memories. Some things are consciously recalled and are very clear. Some things feel dreamlike. But generally speaking, there's enough there that is conscious uh, where we can kind of go in and, and, and see if there are further details to the story. Um, for example, uh, and this happened not too long ago, a couple of years ago. I had a gentleman who was, in fact, a, a tenured uh, professor at uh, one of the main universities in Ontario, I'll say. And he had what we would call a missing time type of experience, which is, of course, very common in, the, in, in this whole type of milieu. So what he recalled was his whole family uh, returning from a trip out to the cottage. They had been way up north, I think, by Montreal, 
and this is the 1960s. So they're in the classic station wagon. I'm sure you can just see it in your mind, right? Yes, yes, with the, the faux wood paneling. Wood paneling, I don't think. <laughs> so they're traveling down the, uh, at the time, probably not an interstate, probably a mountain road of some sort. And all of a sudden, the, the father just turned off on a side road for no apparent reason. And uh, instead of being freaked out, everybody, and there were at least three kids, three kids, two adults, everybody just sort of accepted that he was pulling off on this dark, you know, semi-road. And then uh, he remembered, uh, my client remembered consciously, and this is kind of interesting because it, it, it tells you how memories can be changed by the, you know, by conscious perception. He saw what he thought was a bunch of, Cub Scouts riding their bikes up the hill. Okay? Now that is the... In the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. Right. Riding right by the side of the car, Cub Scouts, on their bicycles. So this is the last conscious thing that he remembered. The next conscious thing that he recalled is uh, the family was sitting in the car. They They were sitting in the car and the car just seemed to start up on its own, I believe. And they, and it was now getting light. And the father just turned around and drove back to the main road. And the family never discussed it, ever. And I think my client's like shirt was on backwards, something, something like that. That's hmm. not unusual for that, that to occur. Now, um, for me to hear that, that really is highly suggestive that something occurred. There's a missing memory. There's a missing right. chunk. So uh, I, I put the gentleman under hypnosis, and what he recalled was the following. First of all, he recalled that the what was going by the car were not Boy Scouts on bicycles, but small ETs, what you would call small grays. Right. And a lot of times, small grays seem to be facilitators. You know, they're not necessarily the ones who want to talk to the individuals or, or examine them, but they're like facilitators. I, my personal feeling is they're, they're not always fully biological. Right, I, yes, uh, yes. That they may be some type of, you know, robotic, you know, beings of some sort. Anyway, they, so he sees all of these little guys on the right side of the car and then also standing in the road. And then the car stops, and he's, of course, terrified. Everybody's terrified, except that it seems that his, his siblings and his parents are unconscious, but he is awake. Hmm. And I believe the next thing that happened is the car windows sort of roll down, and one by one, uh, the children start floating out the car windows. And he's the last one to go, and he's fighting every moment. And, uh, you know, he's fighting, going on to the craft. There is a craft. Uh, they are, you know, taken aboard. And from that point, uh, it's a very familiar scenario, which you've heard a number of times. I think one of the distinctive things that he recalled um, is Let me that- just uh, jump in here, oh, yeah. uh, Leslie. We'll, we'll take a time out. We'll pick up on this remarkable case study. Uh, on the other side, Leslie Mitchell-Clark, certified clinical hypnotherapist who works with alleged alien abductees, contactees, experiencers. 
through her clinic, Lightwork Hypnosis. Back with more of our conversation right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Leslie Mitchell-Clark is with us. Her uh, clinic here in Toronto, Lightwork Hypnosis. We're talking about her work with alleged uh, alien uh, abductees, experiencers, contactees. Um, and you were sharing with us the um, the case study of this uh, tenured professor. Yes. Uh, does it usually start when people come to you? Uh, is that what is bothering them, a recollection of um, missing time and they want to find out what happened? Is that is that generally the impetus? Well, that's often one of the primary things. Um, now, and certainly um, they will come if they have, uh, you know, disturbing um, waking experiences that are consciously remembered. Uh, oftentimes there is a a pattern of missing time. They'll be able to recall several incidents of it going, you know, where they experienced that phenomena going back to childhood. And quite frankly, most, I, you know, we have found, not just myself, but Dr. Mack and all the people that work in this area, uh, it's most common for people to have had multiple experiences uh, since they were children. It's very unusual to for someone to have an isolated experience and just that. Most of what's going on, or at least what what has gone on, uh, you know, into the 60s with uh, following, I think you know, some of the beings are following individuals genetically, and some of these experiences are even intergenerational where, uh, you know, I, someone will tell me that their mother had had missing time and blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's, uh, it, it is certainly one of the primary reasons. It's disturbing. You know, many of the, many of the individuals that, that I do see have, you know, already been through a very uh, medical or perhaps a psychiatric experience, and uh, they are certainly uh, concerned about their sanity, and um, and it's very comforting for them, uh, no matter how uh, how I uh, should I say distressing the memories are when we're able to recover them. It is such a comfort for them to have them recovered and to know that something occurred and that they are not you know out of their minds. Um, most people kind of suffer in silence and 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 carry it with them and uh, and then there are there are there are experiencers who um have been very damaged i believe by what's happened to them and uh, some of these poor people are really having a very difficult time functioning in life uh you know some of them are you know on disability they may be agoraphobic uh you know be you know have a lot of fears so I also work with people. Well, actually, my whole my whole purpose is not just to get information, but my purpose as a as someone in the healing professions is to help the individual integrate these experiences and and uh, you know continue on with uh, with a happy, fulfilling life, while at the same time 
accepting what they have been through or what they continue to go through. Were you uh, interested in ufology first, or were you a, a hypnotherapist first? What? How did the? How did that work? Well, that's an interesting question, Richard. I I I have to say I've been interested in ufology all of my life. And, uh, in fact, you know, had some of my, my own experiences, uh, some in the teenage years and such. And then uh, I was always drawn to working with uh, memory and the recovery of memory. Even as a hypnotherapist, it was something that I just seemed to have a uh, affinity for. I think, may, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a mom and I can put anybody to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I do have a, I do seem to have a kind of a, a, a little skill at getting people into a deep trance. And we do tend to, uh, when people are doing memory recovery, even if I'm helping them to find, you know, a lost object or something, Thing like that, we do require a little bit of a deeper trance than, um, say, the kind of trance we put someone in for uh, behavior modification, like quitting smoking or, or something of that nature. Right. Let me just go back to the uh, this case study. This tenured professor, oh yes, uh, who had the missing time, mm-hmm. uh, seems to recall from childhood his father pulling off the road on a trip up to uh, Montreal yep. and uh, seeing what he thought initially or remembered were Boy Scouts. Yes. Uh, which makes a certain amount of sense. I remember my, my, my at least my Cub Scout uniform. It was a gray, long-sleeved uh, kind of a jersey. So maybe that's where the gray. Oh, is came that in. is that what? Boy, I'm you know I'm I'm from New York City. Would that have been a Would that have been a typical Cub Scout uniform uh, of cu- that time? Uh, I, I uh, the Cub Scouts certainly in the '60s and '70s had the long. At least up here in Canada, we had the long gray. Oh. Uh, Ryan, were you in the Cub Scouts? No, Albert. Ian, were you in the Cub Scouts? No. I, I was I, a beaver. You were a beaver. Yeah. Well, God bless you for that. Well, I'm, uh, but I'm I, not going to touch that. That's <laughs> a- <laughs> <laughs> this used to be a family show. No, uh, well, I was no, I was in the Cub Scout. We wore a long uh, Cub Scouts. We wore a long sleeve, a gray jersey. Oh, wow. Uh, so maybe that's where, you know. He... You know, that makes a lot of sense. Richard, thank you for telling me that. All this time I've been envisioning the little blue uniforms with the yellow kerchiefs that we wear the Cub Scouts wear in the states, but uh, that obviously that makes a whole lot more sense. Okay, so but I think that they are very able to use, as we call them, screen memories. You know, they're they're able to take things out of our mind and 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 use them to 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 make us less fearful. Well, that I, I wanted to ask you about that too, because is it not as a defense mechanism? Can our mind also create false screen memories? Let me. Uh, where I'm going with this is uh, a guest who's been on the show before, uh, an author and a lawyer by the name of Randall Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Um, he believes that under underlying many, he's not saying all, but many alien abduction cases, there could be a component of uh, sexual abuse where the mind is creating this false screen memory. Uh, you know, something fantastical, you know, of being abducted by aliens may be a little more. Uh, easier to deal with than a case of sexual abuse. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, there are people who have come to me believing that they have had abduction experiences, and we do come to find out that what we're really dealing with are, um, you know, kind of disassociation and, as you say, um, uh, the mind having created a more palatable or acceptable reality uh, from the sexual abuse that occurred. Right. But I would have to say I think that occurrence is extremely small. Ah. I really, really do. Um, 
you know, I, and of course I've, I've worked a lot in sexual abuse as well, you know, as we do to recover memories. And those memories get suppressed and twisted just in the same kinds of ways that any trauma does. So yeah, there is, there is, I cannot argue with your, there is an element to that, but I certainly would not use a big, broad paintbrush there. I, I think it's something that does happen, but my part of my job is to be able to recognize uh, very quickly when we are when I am dealing with a a possible dissociative disorder because by law as a as a hypnotherapist even though in the states I have psychology training and I'm a psychiatric technician I am not by law allowed to work with anyone who is by diagnosis mentally ill ah, and I didn't know so that. if if someone has had hospitalizations and they have been received a, a diagnosis of uh, you know paranoid schizophrenia or or, or or bipolar disorder with depressive so I I really am not supposed to work with those people so one of the things that I have to do in my intake and this is true of course anyone that I work with I have to I have to ask a lot of detailed questions and find out about the uh, the psychological history of the person that I'm dealing with, so I usually have a pretty good idea um, whether someone is an experiencer or whether they are simply have you know twisted up traumatic memories of abuse from their childhood. I don't have to put people into trance to usually figure that out. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you were mentioning how people are often, you know, so relieved when they find out that, you know, they weren't out of their mind, that there was yeah. a, a reason behind the missing time. I don't, for me personally, and I, I'm not an experiencer as far as I know, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I, I do have sort of strange memories, mm -hmm. sort of sketchy memories, and I'm, what was that all about type thing, but mm -hmm. many of us do. But I, I don't know that I would, I, I don't know that I would want to know. I think I would be more... I'd be happy just thing, just sort of saying, well, that was kind of a strange memory. I'm not sure what that was about. Let's just leave that alone. Mm -hmm. Rather than to have my entire worldview turned upside down and to realize that I was taken aboard a, an alien spacecraft and maybe probed and prodded and so mm -hmm. forth, I don't know. Well, I, I think that, um, you know, a good, a good way to, to look at that is that uh, it, the truth is always better. Uh, I, I feel the truth is always better, or your truth, which you you know your your individual truth. You know, if your if your if your wife or your husband are cheating on you, and you have a feeling that they are, <laughs> and your instinct tells you that they are, uh, but there's no proof. You know, you feel like you're losing your mind. You know, it's 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 that it's that kind of a thing. It's doubting. It's the doubt of your own mental capabilities that that is so uh, distressing for these individuals now it's uh, you know i have to say that also and this may surprise you richard but the vast majority of the experiences that people have i would have to call them positive hmm. and sometimes someone recalls consciously just a grain of the experience which seems negative um, i think that Primarily, we have been visited and um, possibly helped by a wide variety of beings uh, that have regular relationships with our planet and, and are possibly even in a genetic resonation with us to a certain extent. So um, I think that um, 
I don't think we need any help being terrible to each other. And the worst stories that I have heard, Richard, as far as regressions, have been individuals that were involved in, now this is a whole other subject, but what I would have to call, you know, the black budget, the parallel space program. Uh, some people call it the super soldier program. But there can be no doubt now, I don't believe, uh, from some of the information that's been released uh, through the Freedom of Information Act, that the government from the time of Truman uh, was heavily involved in a type of relationship with a certain group of ETs, and experimentation was allowed, and also the development of uh, individuals who were in a kind of a uh, galactic military um, uh, force. Um, I think one of the one of the most interesting guys. I don't know if you've ever had him on the show. Would be Randy Kramer, Captain K. No. Yeah, he's he has incredible. Uh, uh, he's just an individual. But I have people who come to me who have recalled things that are even more, uh, shall we say, uh, startling and terrifying. But they always involve a human element, right? Mm. And, um, you know, this is, this is my main, you know, I'm on my little platform now, even though I'm flopped here in my office. I'm, well, on, my, I'm on my platform. But right. I, think we, I think fear is, is, the, is the destructor. I think we need to move ahead without fear. And by and large, we don't have anything to fear from the individuals who are interacting with us who may come from uh, other dimensions or, or, you know, other planetary systems. What about the, the uh, and I think Dr. David Jacobs has sort of been exploring this recently, and that is the, the human-alien hybrid program. Well, I think that exists. Now, Dr. Jacobs, I have tremendous respect for him, but he does, in my in my viewpoint, tend to sort of take a negative spin on a lot of this. What I think has happened in, um, you know, at least in um, with the European and Northern Europe and uh, and North American governments, I think that um, after the Roswell crash, when you know bodies were collected and also probably at least one living being, uh, we had an opportunity there to. Um, to accept them and learn from them and make that public. And somewhere along the line, uh, under the Truman administration, it was allegedly his decision. Um, instead of that, uh, it was determined that the technology would be given to us, uh, leaked out, and we would, we would then uh, deliver this technology to various members of the military-industrial complex. It's very, very clearly outlined in The Day After Roswell, if you happen to have yes. read that book. And I think as part of that agreement, and many people have sat right in my chair there and told me this, there there was also an agreement that the beings with the sort of the darker agenda would be allowed to take an experiment and utilize genetic information from a certain percentage of um, human beings on the earth. So we made a kind of a we made a kind of a dark agreement, and uh, an agreement of suppression, uh, a military agreement, um, an agreement of uh, abuse to to the earth citizens. And as I as I understand it now, from what you know, I'm hearing from various sources, there there came a time where those types of behaviors were uh, these experimentations, these taking of the ova and sperm and all of this stuff has been, has been stopped. 
All right, so listen, I've got, and I'm really going to stop right. I got to stop really right there. I got to oh, stop sorry. in and uh, cut in here. Excuse me. We'll uh, take a time. I'll come back and uh, discuss further. Leslie Mitchell Clark, Toronto-based certified clinical hypnotherapist, specializes in working with experiencers and contactees. Back with more of the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Leslie Mitchell-Clark stays with us, Toronto-based certified clinical hypnotherapist. Her clinic, Lightwork Hypnosis. Uh, what percentage of your, uh, of your clientele are uh, abductees or, or, let's say, uh, contactees, experiencers? Mm, I would say probably about half. I would say. Um, a lot of the time also I, I am a, a hypnotherapist at uh, my Danforth Clinic, which is called the Bloom Center for Hypnotherapy, uh, bloomhypnosis.com. And usually at that location I'm working with, uh, you know, more, more mainstream uh, areas, you know, uh, weight loss, anxiety, uh, any kind of negative habit elimination, that type of thing. Right. Uh- I want to go back to the um, the uh, this case study, this tenured professor. Yes. Uh, where we left off, he yes. um, he he came to you because of uh, some missing time. Uh, yes. He remembered as a child a kind of a strange memory. His father drove off uh, off onto a side road mm-hmm. for no uh, no uh, explainable reason, right. and uh, he mem- he remembered uh, Boy Scouts in the middle of the night riding alongside of the car. Yes. Uh, and then he came to you, and it was uh, these were Greys, mm-hmm. uh, not uh, Boy Scouts. He was taken aboard the craft, and that's kind of where we left off. Yes, and he was uh, unlike the rest of his family. His parents were conked out. I don't think his parents they were interested in the parents. Uh, it was the children that were essentially levitated out of the car through the car windows. They start, they rolled down on their own, as he described it. And uh, when they did get into the craft, uh, he recalled that he was taken, you know, somehow, you know, he was taken, his clothes were taken off, and he was lying on a type of an examination table. And he could see there was another examination table very close to him, and his younger brother was on it. And that's when he became really upset because he was afraid they were going to hurt his younger brother. And he was the eldest. So he really started freaking out. And uh, I think one of the beings put their hand on his forehead and immediately calmed him down. And their examination was completely benign. Uh, Both he and the brother, they weren't hurt. There was no, you know, painful probing. Um, uh, as far as he knew, no type of implants were inserted. And, um, and, but he was extremely upset just because that he, was, he was worried about his younger brother. Somehow they got back into the car and he, he knew it was time to go. And um, interestingly, I, I think that it's possible that the craft itself may have been, you know, elevated 
that they sort of beamed, you know, they took off, and I think this procedure happened because he seemed to recall being sort of beamed down, which is something that, that you know, it's in Gene Roddenberry's universe, and it also actually is, is a big part of the technology. The beaming up and beaming down is, is something we hear about all the time. Right. And, um, and then uh, somehow they got back in the car, but it was quite a bit of time that was missing. It had to have been uh, three to four hours because the sun was coming up when by the time uh, everyone sort of was conscious in the car. And, you know, I, I find it so interesting that, that the family didn't speak. I hear this again and again. Uh, a gentleman who's on the program uh, quite regularly, Ali Siatatan, a documentary filmmaker, talked about this to me uh, on the air. Uh, he and his family experienced a giant craft while they were traveling in Iran uh, that... Um, uh, emerged on the right side of their vehicle and went down into the ground and disappeared into the ground. They all witnessed this in the car and they didn't speak of it afterwards. Yeah, I hear this again it? and again. Indeed it is. Listen, we'll take another quick time out, okay. come back and uh, reconvene on the other side. Leslie Mitchell Clark, Lightwork Hypnosis. Stay with us. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416 360 0740. Or toll free at 1 866 740 4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Uh, this gentleman, this tenured professor uh, that came to you with his mm-hmm. uh, missing time, uh, and we just heard his um, remarkable story. Yes. Did, did he discover that he was, that this was a, a continuing saga yes. in his life? Yes, indeed. Uh, we, you know, after, usually when someone comes with a specific incident where they have a lot of conscious memory mixed in, that's where I start. You know, I go to that incident if we possibly can and, you know, get the information we can. And then, you know, if I haven't kept anybody under too long and, and, and it's possible, uh, we go back to find the first incident of contact. And invariably, I think his, he was about three or four years old. I mean, it's, it's uh, these, these individuals, these really often very, very smart and interesting people also seem to have um, a high uh, PSI factor. In other words, they don't just have experiences with extraterrestrials. They have paranormal experiences of all sorts. So they seem to be, uh, whether, whether the ETs are interested in these individuals because of their genetic uh, ability towards, uh, uh, you know, psychic, you know, psychic phenomena, if you want to call it that, or whether somehow the ET experience incites or stimulates that ability. You know, I'm not really sure. Uh, but whatever, however it happens, people who have experiences with ETs uh, and um, see craft, they, they seem to have a, a wide variety of experiences that that go into the paranormal areas. Uh, and so is this ongoing then? Is he, With is this he, gentleman, he, yes, yes, it is ongoing. And what, 
and what we did with the work with him is, you know, we integrated the experiences that he had had that were, uh, you know, where there was missing time or funny feelings or whatever. And there were actually quite more of them. The more we got into it, it was like opening Pandora's box, and that's frequently the case. The more we got into it, the more experiences began coming up. And so is it a weekly, uh, monthly? I, you know, I, when I'm working with someone in this way, I don't like to see them too often because it takes, I usually will see them every two weeks or maybe even less frequently. And, and I record the session for them and they need to digest and, 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 you know, and um, integrate what has happened to them. And also, Richard, I should, I should make this pretty clear, too, to your listeners, in case you have any listeners out there who are wondering if they themselves are experiencers and they're worried about a fear factor of, uh, you know, remembering what's happened. As, we do not need to have the hypnotic subject relive trauma to process it and release it. Now, it used to be thought that that was what had to happen. In fact, you know, psychiatrists 100 years ago, when they were dealing with phobias, uh, if somebody had a a fear of spiders, say, for instance, uh, there would be a spider cage full of spiders, and uh, they would have the individual put their hand in for maybe 30 seconds initially and then, you know, put it in for longer and longer until they were desensitized to the spiders. Now, essentially, we work with phobias or post-traumatic stress disorder in the same way. However, um, say an individual is having uh, a recall of an experience that is uh, not very pleasant. Maybe there's, there's some examination. Maybe there's some physical discomfort. I will then, and, and we all do this, I will then make the person an observer so they are able to see what has happened and understand it without having emotions of fear and panic attached. So by reliving the experience, even if it's from a distance in a sense, that is, that is more than enough to release any trauma from the experience. And then it can just come back into normal memory and be integrated. Have you had uh, an incident where someone has come to you with a phobia uh, and not knowing why uh, they're afraid of something, let's say clowns, mm-hmm. uh, and after going under, they 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 discover you discover uh, that the root of that phobia is actually uh, an, an experience. Yes, uh, that 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 has happened. When someone comes with an inexplicable fear that doesn't seem to have a basis in any kind of experience that they can recall, I will sometimes do regression. And I'll tell you, I got a quick story for you about yes, <laughs> colunophobia. By the way, fear of clowns is one of the top <laughs> one of the top fears. Why? Well, that that's the reason fear. I asked it. I heard there may be a connection between fear of clowns and alien abductions? Well, because I think I have heard a lot of stories where ETs in, um, in you know, taking children for whatever reason, usually not a painful reason, but taking children, they seem to think that clowns are comforting and entertaining and will assume the guise of clowns. And, and, and it's kind of a misunderstanding. I mean, they don't know everything about us, that's for sure. But uh, this one individual came to me at just exactly as you mentioned now with a sort of a paralyzing fear of clowns. I mean, beyond what you would expect from a normal, healthy adult. And in the regression, we found that this individual had been, had been taken in the middle of the night 
floated right through a wall, and he was about 12. You know, that age where the kids are starting to get a little surly, you know, they just, you know, fight a little rebellious. He, I think he had been taken, you know, we later found out many times before, but he was a cooperative child. Now he was kind of arrogant and bad. So he was floated through the wall and ended up in some location, obviously, on the craft. And it seemed to be, it seemed to have been constructed as a uh, pediatrician's waiting room. And there were a whole number of other children, maybe 10 or 15 children in his age group, boys and girls. Some of them were completely turned off. They seemed to be asleep in their seats. And some of them were semi-conscious. Some of them were, were completely conscious, like my client. So they were pretending it was a pediatrician's office. And then the so-called doctor came out to get my client and it was a it was a being wearing a clown outfit but it wasn't patch adams it was not patch adams <laughs> <laughs> it was not thank no. god oh, in fact patch adams was a little more frightening than this would have been <laughs> not one of robin's greatest films that's what happens when you get the uh, mistress to produce your films for you. Uh, I tell is that you. what happened? Okay. Anyway, so but I digress. So, uh, so this this uh, colunophobia, this 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 fear of clowns, uh, seemed to have a ground zero in this particular experience. But when children are being taken, the beings often go to great trouble to not be seen. They seem to not really want to frighten the children, and they try different things, but they don't always work. Hmm. Uh, do you sort of under the radar, uh, I don't know if you, I, I, I'm not going to ask you to name a school board, but I'm wondering because I know of educators who have observed students uh, that they suspect may have been um, experiencers or contactees or abductees. Mm -hmm. uh, do you get any work from school boards? You know, the schools are extremely reluctant to use any kind of hypnosis. And I mean just if you were, you know, if they had students who were suffering from anxiety or social anxiety or having trouble focusing, uh, we are completely at this point, sadly, um, you know, off the radar um, in that regard. And, you know, I, I mean, there could be a lot of reasons for that. I personally think some of it has to do with the fact that we have nothing to do with big pharma. Um, not that I don't think there are appropriate uses for medications. I'm not anti-medication or anti-vaccine, but when someone comes to us, we're not going to prescribe, uh, you know, Effexor or, 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 you know, or Respiridol. I mean, we're not, we're not in that part of the business. So we're not legitimate, it seems. It's, uh, that seems to be kind of the thinking. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I wish that we were able to now, sometimes in a sometimes in a in a private school or a dance school or an art school, I have gone I have gone in and done group hypnosis sessions for kids to help them deal with competition or to help them deal with their own stresses in school, and that and that's allowed privately. But as far as the public school system, I have yet to hear about any of my colleagues, uh, you know, being called in to consult on anything. Uh, we, we mentioned uh, Dr. David Jacobs, and yes. you mentioned Dr. John Mack, and I, I believe both of those were um, sort of co-pioneers um, 
participants in that Roper poll. They commissioned the uh, the Roper the yes. company to do that poll on on uh, experiencers or contactees, and I, I can't remember the figure. Uh, they sort of extrapolated and some, they came up with something like was it sixteen percent of the general population may have been abducted? Uh, it, it's it's. It's, I think now the figure that we that we often talk about is as many as as fourteen fifteen million people, which is of course the, more than the population of New York City, and some individuals uh, who who are who do this type of work. I think you know um, will, may say that as many of a third of the people on our planet have had experiences. Mm. So it's. Uh, I mean, this is not. This is not isolated. Um, it's and and of course, you know, I deal with people who have had, you know, on Alan Heinrich's uh, scale, who have had, you know, real close encounters. But as many of those people that there are, there are probably millions and millions of people who have simply had visual encounters of craft. Sure. You know. Would would that be? Do you believe if if you know, obviously, this would be difficult to to ascertain because you know you you can't you can't poke around in in parts of people's memories where they don't want you to. Mm-hmm. But uh, do you think that would be borne out in if if you were to put people uh, under hypnosis that had no recollection, that had no missing time, but still there would be perhaps an experience there that they weren't aware of? Oh, I think so. Yes, mm. that that that's uh, people who have had sightings uh, very commonly have also had more in-depth experiences. That's very true. I, I think that sometimes the crafts show themselves to people. They have, I don't know if they have cloaking technology or if it's on a vibrational level, but there are people who just tend to see a lot of craft. There's a guy who lives in Scarborough. It's one of our suburbs here in Toronto, as you know. Um, his name is Paul Shishis, and he's been on various programs before. So I can... And on here, he sends me almost weekly, he sends me photos of uh, sightings. Well, there you go. All this guy has to do is go out on his deck at work and smoke a cigarette, and he has a sighting. And, and, uh, and he has had, now, although I haven't worked with him, he has, through conscious memories, he has had many experiences. The first one that he recalls consciously, he's like eight or nine. And uh, so, so not only does he have, you know, visual contact, but I think he has a relationship going with him. It would have seemed, he did, we actually did a, uh, a regression with him on, live on the radio on, mm. this, on this program. Um, and, uh, you know, that's something I would like to do again. I don't, is that something that you'd be willing to do? We can do it. We can absolutely do it. And, I'm, I'm um, sitting across the desk from someone I think uh, might be uh, an interesting case study. Albert, would you be willing to go under on the air to see if you've been abducted? I, I, I can do it. I, I have a conscious memory of it. Oh, <laughs> you have the, a conscious memory mm-hmm. of it. Huh? The, the hypnosis may, may bring out more details. Reveal more. Yeah. Yeah, we could absolutely do that, Richard. That's not, that's, that's not a problem. Uh, you know, if he's a good hypnotic subject, uh, we can go in there and 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 see what we can find. Uh, and the, and the, obviously, because we, we, if we were doing it on air, we'd have to be you know observing strict protocols and so forth. But yes. uh, let, let's let's set that up, Albert. If you're willing, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but yeah, no, it's fine. You can deepen the induction, and and uh, I'm not, you know. I can remember without hypnosis. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, what we could do uh, is, you know, we could do the rather lengthy induction part, 
you know, off air, and then when I get him to where he's supposed to be, where he's actually talking to me and recalling, then then that part could be on air. All it's right. just I don't want people I don't want people to try it at home. No, <laughs> exactly. All I mean? right, let's let's work on that, Albert. I'm going to leave that in your capable hands. Leslie, thank you so much for this. Light work hypnosis. How do people get a hold of you? Well, the best way to get a hold of me, and I'm going to give you my cell phone. I, I'm not worried about that. It's four one six four five four. 8041. You can always reach me. You can always reach me also at uh, bloomhypnosis.com. Okay, I got to run now. All right. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Leslie. Take good care. All right. Thank you all. Back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll see. I hope I'll uh, see you then. Bye bye. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.